dystopian fiction has been moved to current affairs. Hello and welcome to Dystopian Fiction Has Been Moved to Current Affairs, a podcast about dystopian society in TV, film and literature. If this is your first time listening in, then do look back at our previous episodes on The Last of Us and Fight Club and look out for our next episode in two weeks time on Barbie. I'm Claire Coombe, my pronouns are she, her, and I'm an educator and writer. Um, I am Marsha Yakovlova. I am a student at Sheffield University um, and co-host this podcast, Claire. So uh, today we're going to be talking about the TV show Years and Years, uh, which came out in 2019. And I think the reason we really wanted to talk about this one was unlike um, some of the other more obvious dystopian uh, subjects that we're going to be looking at, this is a show that tracks a fairly ordinary British family um, starting in the year 2019 which is when it was released pre-COVID and then proceeding to look at the development of UK society and a family within that over uh, the period from 2019 to around 2031-32, looking at the way that the country changes and the way in which the people within that change and the way that they take uh, some responsibility for the things that go badly wrong in their society and the thing that so fascinating for me is the fact that it's been so scarily right we're watching this in 2023 uh we think uh you know there are a lot of things that um have have gone the way that was being predicted by the writers uh even when they were writing Mm. pre-2019 um and we'll talk about some of those in more more detail Mm. but um you know, we were just discussing the fact that they uh, pretty much predicted the the death of um, Queen yes. Elizabeth, Her Majesty the Queen. Yeah. Uh, dead on, dead on. Yep. I mean, you know, perhaps not that surprising given her age, but nonetheless. Uh, yeah, true. Um, fair play, fair play. Uh, and some some sort of you know more uh, negative world um, issues. Uh, we specified, for example, the overthrow of Roe v. Wade and the fact that that's shown as something mm-hmm. so shocking actually happened uh, even earlier in history, as it were, happened in 2022. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, we've also going to talk quite a bit about the um, conflict in Ukraine and the differences between what has actually happened in history and is happening now um, and what's uh, predicted, um, fictionalised within the show. But most of all, we're looking at a family in this world, and that family is the Lyons family. It's four adult children with their respective families and uh, their elderly grandmother, Muriel. So it follows their lives, and therefore we see this not through the perspective of somebody special or heroic, but actually through the lives of people who are perhaps much more like a typical middle-class British family. So Um, uh, for you, Marsha, I mean, what did you think about the, this (laughs) realistic, but dystopian setting? (laughs) Yes. um, Wow. What a, what a TV show, to be honest. Like I'm, I'm, I don't think I've ever seen anything quite like it. It would, I mean, would you say there's any other sort of shows that you'd say are in the same sort of genre that you'd recommend? No, or? I don't. 
I, 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 I do I think it is different. It um, is very different. I just don't, haven't seen anything like it before. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm curious of, um, as you're saying, you know, in the writer's room, uh, they were coming up with these sort of plot lines, storylines into the future. I, I don't know. I wonder if they had any sort of, you know, historians or kind of these, you know, professionals and that sort of kind of predicting when, you know, because I'm, I'm sure there are jobs out there where people are predicting financial crises, mm. crises, Cri- crises, yeah. crises, <laughs> um, you know, and law like predicting certain sort of events that might happen and when they might take place, et cetera, et cetera. You know, everyone's trying to predict when the next general, you know, like global pandemic's going to take yeah. place. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I, I wonder, because it, if it can't just be, you know, I love, you know, literature and writers and screenwriters. I'm sure they're very great in their craft of writing mm. beautiful, you know, mm. speech and stuff for actors to, you know, play out. But, you know, I wonder what their expertise were in actually predicting these sorts of events. Taking It's just so scarily accurate. It's so <laughs> scary. I, I was in I shock. Said- I was sat there like... I know, and since neither of us saw this in 2019, we're seeing it with sort of extra horror because we're watching it in 2023. I mean, one of the things... Imagine watching this show, yeah. Go on, sorry. I was was just saying, imagine watching the show in 2019 and then seeing the pattern Mm. of a government unfold and going like, oh yeah, I remember watching this happen in years and years. And you're just sat there like, what? So continue, continue. Which gives the horrible thought of the fact that, you know, we'll come back to this later on in the show, but since one of the themes is really about how we need to take responsibility for um, the, the the changes, the bad things uh, that happen in our world, mm. um, we haven't mm. done necessarily a very good job of it in the last four years, although we did have no, the COVID-19 pandemic, which has obviously impacted um, in a way that isn't quite predicted in, um, the, in the show. But... Going back to what you were saying about like where do they predict these ideas from? Um, I was, you know, looking at some of the sort of data parallels with um, uh, patterns that can be predicted. For example, they talk about um, insect decline and the impact on um, fruit and vegetables, and seeing butterflies and things like that. And mm-hmm. we're seeing a thirty-four uh, percent decrease in insects over a decade at the moment and therefore if you sort of put that data into what this is looking at over a period of more than a decade then it does you know that does sort of make sense that can be predicted likewise we see particularly the rise in flooding where we're seeing an increase in rainfall we're seeing the changing weather weather patterns so again you know there's a prediction there but some of the others things are more like that kind of writerly what if question and the what if builds on some of the things that I suppose were were um, typical in in you know, typical points of conversation in in uh, 2017, 18, 19 um, around the direction the country was maybe going. The UK post Brexit, which is obviously in the background of of a lot of the discussion, um, but also um, the rise of right wing populism. Uh, not mm. only with, I suppose, the presence of figures like Donald Trump and Boris Johnson uh, in our landscape, but also the more fringe um, personnel like Nigel Farage. And mm. for those who uh, haven't seen the show, Emma Thompson plays this 
terrifying populist politician yeah. Vivian Rook, who fits mm-hmm. that sort of um, mould, um, referred to, you know, as uh, I think Muriel, you know, particularly in episode six, it's about looking out for the clowns and the jokers and the tricksters, the ones who seem like the normal you know, guy down the pub in Farage's case. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Vivian Rook is, you no, know, same I'm Boris saying Johnson's, what, yeah. yeah, I'm saying what normal people say, she keeps telling us. Yeah, yeah, the sort of like, yeah, you're, you're sort of local down the pub kind of, you know, mm. tricks three kind of old, yeah, yeah, classic. And what did you of think of Vivian Rook as a character? Yeah, I mean, you can, you know, you've, you 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 see it being a real thing, to be honest. Like, you know, they say something that's a bit out there that isn't sort of like, yeah. Obviously, so her first introduction in the show is on this kind of talk show or whatever. At this point, she's not even a. This is on Question she's Time. Just, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, and like, she sort of says this shocking thing about, um, I think someone else about like refugees in Ukraine or oh, something or whatever. She's it's like, uh, Israel Palestine the first what time, she... I think. Yeah, Israel yeah, Palestine, right. that's, that's yeah. the one. Yeah, that's the one. She's like, I don't, I don't give a shit about mm. that. And everyone's like, oh. everyone sat there like, no, jaws mm. to the floor. And it's, I think it is that kind of like, okay, she, she's kind of said this like outlandish thing that mm. everyone's a bit shocked at. And she, she, it's the attention grabbing, I think. It's, it's the way that like, she she kind of begins to have an upper hand in these like sort of you know debates and talk shows. Mm. Even the one where she pulls out at one point she she's at she's at this sort of debate or whatever. It's the hustings, isn't it, where she's like, standing for yes, her political party? Yes. Yeah, 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 isn't mm. it? And they're like, you don't know what you're talking about because she mm. said she said something a bit wrong with that. I don't know. What she's, mm. like, anyway, I don't remember the exact mm. specifics, but they go, oh, you don't even know what you're talking about. She somehow spins it. I can't remember how they do it in the show, but mm. she somehow spins it in a way where she suddenly just changes the subjects completely to like um, the use of like technology and stuff. Mm. And she has these little, basically, in the show, there are these little terrorist devices. That's what is that what they're calling them? A they're kind blink. of like so it's like a little clicky pen, a blink. But she's like, mm. oh, you know, like cyber terrorists use this for blah 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 blah. blah. And, you, and it's this little blink. It's like a pen, like a clicky pen. You click it, the little light bulb turns on. And it like shuts off all te- like mm. technology, any devices in the room for like a certain radius or whatever. And everyone's like shocked again. It's this shocking mm. thing. I, I thought, you know, the dev- development of technology in the show is also like a separate topic that we just talk mm. about a bit. But um, <clears throat> yeah, and, and she spins it in this way of like, okay, I would give this to every single teacher, every single parent, mm. you know, to be able to like, you know, monitor how what our children are doing on the internet and stuff. And it's this kind of... Sh- I, I, I don't know, it's, it's just such an interesting scene because suddenly everyone's cheering for her as opposed this to is... what they were doing before, which was laughing at her. Yeah, so that's right. You know, she, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's the spinning of a situation where, you know, she... Um, hasn't understood export taxes she sort of says that she's been humbled and then she says of course oh but i notice a woman can't make a single mistake which is just Mm. you know yes i can see that's true but in the context it just feels really awful but you're right it's the sensationalizing and not just the use of the blink which is obviously a shocking kind of tactic using this illegal cyber weapon or whatever um but also the fact that she says that she would use it because uh all six-year-olds are getting porn on their phones. And uh, this is mm. part of her campaign to um, uh, to, to bring the tech giants uh, to, to justice, which is, mm. you know, this complete typical oversimplification. But first of all, you know, she's used this tool. Secondly, she's shown porn on the video screens. 
and then thirdly mm-hmm. um you know she's she's um said something that is like i'm on the side of parents and i'm on the side of you know protecting our children yes. um whilst not yeah, really having any yeah. any policies at all um and you know i do think we see that trajectory of her rise in quite a realistic way from sort of businesswoman on question time dropping an f-bomb and therefore you know making herself mm. sort of known um even though she's so divisive we see the lions family all watching her and uh, and sort of saying you know she's a monster or i think she's great yes um and then of course she stands as an independent character after the labor mp is decapitated mm. by a drone uh which again you yeah. know oh yeah very uh you know uh she she sort of says you know it's unfortunate you know but symbolic um yeah yeah and again these opportunistic things you know, generally when when you know when somebody dies in office you know there's usually a uh as a mark of respect other parties don't stand against them in by-elections but she's right there taking full advantage of it yeah then indeed, she creates her own indeed. party as the four-star party based on um, the uh, her tendency to be caught swearing on TV. Um, and then mm. obviously- oh, th- oh my God. Yeah, yes. through to so the So it took me a while to catch on to that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, sorry, you know. Uh, but yeah, you know, this this sort of, this pathway until eventually the situation of a, a very weak hung parliament in which her party has 15 seats and she says i won't form a coalition they'll have to come to me so giving inordinate power to a a minority party through to her actual election after that uh, you know her party's election to power after uh, the dissolution of that um failed parliament and that you know that realism about how that can happen from sort of you know one woman who you know nobody knows why she's on the tv which is something was you know comes mm. up a lot about farage you know why was he being given a platform why is he being given a platform mm. you know mm. um not a politician not anyone of significance yeah, together um, first place. Yeah, yeah through to you know through to the idea what if what if that actually um the weakness of of other parts of uh, kind of political life means that a party like that can come to power whereupon we discover of course yeah. um, they can't actually rule they you know they they're, they're so not fit do you think, to rule yes do you think so do you think the vivian rook that's the that's the character's name mm. um do you, do you think she's a a character of specifically farage or like a number of different politicians like what who do you think they're kind of like trying to make commentary on with with i think she she certainly has there are aspects to her character that are you know farage like um and johnson like Mm. she does that really embarrassing Mm. tragedy dance which reminds me of theresa may strutting across the (laughs) stage and doing her dance at uh, uh, the tory party (laughs) conference so you know they're pulling on a lot of Mm. things there um but i think that she is this this phenomenon where that we seem to be attracted to where somebody is everyone hates politicians so they're drawn to the person that they think is you know you know really one of them even though we learn repeatedly you know vivrook is not one of them you know she's she's mancunian but she doesn't actually you know actually go on her battle bus round manchester and she's on the board of all these companies again you know this is something that feels very 
current the idea of kind of um uh, politicians whose businesses profit from um decisions that are made in government um so she models some of that so it picks up on a lot of trends though one of the things that i think is definitely right is that she is a an example of a sort of far-right politician uh, certainly we obviously see that with her immigration policies it's hard to say specifically she doesn't have many policies but um you know she she embodies these kinds of um things which have indeed as is shown in the show risen across europe getting increasing votes um over um well the period of, of the last few decades um so you know it's definitely taking that trend and and running with it i suppose um, yes well, it's, it's, I mean, it's a lot to think about, really. Uh, again, it is kind of just like you, you can see, you can you can see kind of her character in like so what you, I mean. I, I think specifically, like for example, there was that journalist who stood up to her and says, mm-hmm. you know, we'll start questioning about like the Russian interference, whether the you know the general election that she won was um, you know interfered with her taxes, sexual harassment. Um, which are all things that are kind of happening <laughs> now, like obviously with yeah. um, our current prime minister, doesn't I don't know, is yeah. there some sort of issue or scandal with his taxes and his wife? And so, you know, the, it's all yeah. kind of, I mean, it's all, you know. You're right. These are all things, all things that have indeed yeah. uh, subsequently featured. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's not like just a British thing as well as, you know, bloody everywhere. No, going, no, yeah. you're right. Although I do think, you know, there is a Britishness to all of this that I 100%. think that we have to be aware yes. of. One of the things that struck me, you know, going back to this sort of populism thing, mm. is um, that one of the things it crosses over with is this idea of sort of, uh intelligence going backwards which i think is a Mm. really sort of interesting thing comes up early on when um uh so daniel one of the uh the lions um uh four lions children uh he gets married to his uh um boyfriend ralph and they're having a conversation in which ralph who is a primary school teacher says that he's, you know, have you read the links I've been sending you? Uh, they're having mm. you know, communication problems, but uh, it turns out that the links he's been sending have been to, uh, there's a site that proves that germs are a myth. They don't exist. Mm. They've been invented by the pharmaceutical companies. And then he starts moving on into flat earth theories and so on. And yes, Daniel, you know, rebutting him, but he's sort of saying, you know, but if you haven't read it, how can you possibly uh, comment on it? And I'm sure that that is, you know, intentionally linking with the idea of um, people, I guess, losing um, a certain intelligence that allows them to engage yes. with with politics. And therefore, yes. when Vivian Rook says something shocking, everyone well, so just I, gives a cheer. Is, yeah. Yes, exactly. I, I mean, it's, it's also interesting, you know, obviously people have this sort of like, oh, oh you know, if you're going to debate with me, you're going to talk to me about a certain topic, like you want to hear all sides out. But also it's, it's like you can't sit and read through every text ever written about a certain thing, you know, considering the fact some of it's, you know, proven, some of it's not. Like, I'm not going to read fake news just in order yes. to be able to be like, oh, I've got one. So it's a waste of time. Like, yeah, I, I, you should have the kind of, I guess, 
self-awareness and like mm. kind of understanding of what is worth reading and what isn't mm. I mean it's hard because obviously like you do want you know to be able to fully understand a certain topic or whatever you want but you're right inside. there is you but, know yeah. you as an undergraduate me as a teacher understand this idea that there are credible sources peer-reviewed articles things that exactly. have been properly researched and referenced um, and then there are things that are are not uh substantiated and of course mm. you know there's always change and development in new research areas and so on but we can distinguish between credible media and fake news and that's another thing that i think they get spot on especially if we think about all the claims that um uh, donald trump was making about fake news um uh during his term of office in the last um election in the us um and again this is something that Vivian Rook really hammers down on this idea oh, yes. that, you know, she's being undermined by fake news. And the way that that's mm. depicted in the show is that ultimately she will only appear on her own TV channel and mm. the BBC ends up being closed down. And whatever critiques have been placed at the door of the BBC of late in, to do with kind of government interference and so on. Yes. One of the things that I always think we have to remember in this country is how lucky we are in comparison with countries where um, there isn't a free media or somewhere like the States where, um, you know, the power of something like Fox News um, mm -hmm. to be the voice of the Republican Party. Um, you know, we don't suffer from that in this country, but this show shows how we could easily go in that uh, direction. Indeed, yes, exactly. Um, I mean, it's also interesting with the fake news and stuff, there was a bit on uh, deep fakes. And oh, yeah. obviously this kind of goes hand in hand with the development of technology. I mean, mm. deep fakes is a thing now. Oh, yeah. like that's, I, I've definitely heard that. I, I feel like I haven't really heard about it most, like rec very recently or like especially being used in a political context. I mean, I know I occasionally get these like sort of TikTok videos where like they've got like, you know, Trump and um, Biden and um, Obama like, pretending to be like like on a discord chat or something and people have like memes this sort of like interactions and use like ai to recreate their voices and get them to say like funny things um but yeah i haven't you know it must be a bigger kind of issue in terms of like fact checking and understanding yeah. you know what people have said and haven't said because you know what well, is obviously with like Partygate and stuff you know mm. these sort of like recordings of boris johnson or, yeah. or something or other or someone you know have come out as like evidence towards you know um mm. the situation but also how could you tell that that's not again someone who's like, like deep faked that i don't know i, um, I think that's yeah, a very very interesting uh observation there's a there was a really good show recently and i've forgotten what it's called but it was it was uh, another fiction looking at kind of surveillance culture but it was the yes. idea of kind of using deep fakes to uh, provide evidence of something the police knew had happened but couldn't evidence had happened so create a mm. video of it it makes it real um but uh, and i think what struck me was this sort of acknowledgement uh, that oh yeah these videos are definitely deep fakes and then of course uh vivian rook says but of course they really did say these things you know so yeah making use of them it doesn't really matter whether people know they're fakes because once these ideas are implanted they associate mm. them with those respective politicians so yeah i thought that that was um 
you know, a really, really interesting sort of aspect there. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, sorry, go on. Well, I was only going to say oh, that it might lead us on yeah. to uh, Hong Shadao because uh, that's mm-hmm. one of the, the pivotal things mm-hmm. that happens, but also that over yes. time we get the questions over credibility. Um, so, I don't know, do you want to tell people about Hong Shadao? <laughs> Oh gosh! Well, so I think it was this little—is it you know an island that is just off artificial the coast of China, island off the coast of Chi- China? Is island. yeah, um, yeah. I think it had like a small population of a couple thousand people. Um, you know, it's later on kind of said in the series there was like they had some sort of stuff on the island that um, as well, basically. Uh, was it an atomic bomb, a nuclear bomb? Yeah, so that's, that's, I think, what we're told, that essentially it's being used as a military base. They're storing various chemical weaponry, including nuclear um, weapons. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. Um, But we're also imagining a world where Donald Trump is still president because he does win his second term in years and years. That at least is something that uh, has not happened in real life. And he has been indicted, but we shall see next time round. But uh, but yeah, so this this idea of these tensions between um, a Trump led America and China uh, with devastating consequences um so i mean the depiction of of the strike the american nuclear strike on hong shadao um is obviously the pivotal moment in the in the first episode but it's also again feels really plausible really real i don't know what you Mm -hmm. thought i know 100 percent. i mean the only thing that i thought was a bit like oh that's like an interesting way of telling out is the fact that the this sort of this nuclear warfare wasn't escalated. Like they just mm-hmm. were like, oh, so the like, America dropped a bomb and they got some sanctions and that was that. Well, it wasn't that was that, mm-hmm. but it was you know there wasn't any real kind of escalation of the war, like a warfare basically, yeah. which yeah, obviously is like yeah, that's great for the show. But is that <laughs> how would it would it go down the same way in real life? Like if you know all these sort of like superpower countries have like mm. the, an access to these nuclear weapons and obviously with the release of like Oppenheimer which I don't think mm. you've seen nor have yeah. I seen yet we should watch that mm. um maybe we'll do a Barbenheimer episode indeed <laughs> yes <laughs> but we'll get around to it we'll see um but yeah no I, I um you're right I mean it perhaps it yeah. is an optimistic outlook in the idea of of uh you know a nuclear attack even on something sort of disputed like this artificial island but um i suppose we have to hope that in the event that anyone did launch a nuclear missile then there would be other means other than uh simply um a counter launch but i'm not sure that the you know the cold war is necessarily taught us that but it is that terror i think you know it it in the aftermath, it's compared to um, the bombing of um, Hiroshima, for example, and the idea yes, of, of you know it affects that place, but largely everybody kind of gets on with their lives afterwards. You know, we it, we're not making enough fuss about it, but in the actual moment, um, most of the Lyons family are all together at uh, the uh, very cold barbecue they have in the winter, um, mm-hmm. the winter feast. <laughs> um, 
uh, with the exception of of Edith, their political yes. activist sister, who is on the coast of Vietnam and watching it go down. Yeah, um, and, and know, I found is, yeah very Sorry, powerful on, but... just this idea. You know, everybody freaking out the fact. Uh, well, Daniel runs for, away from his husband and goes to his um, not yet lover, about to be end of the world lover, lover Victor. Yes, about to be. Um, and uh, <laughs> people say horrible <laughs> things to each other. People say lovely <laughs> things to each other. Um, mm. It's you know that feels again you know very much like the sort of reaction to these end times moments. But then, of course, it's not an end time moment. The world goes on. Mm-hmm. It just gets worse yes 100 it's 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 very it's so because it, honestly the first episode was so i mean I, almost every end to every episode mm-hmm. is intense they play this like same in like kind of outro music where everything's kind of like picking up the like editing is really like you know choppy but it's kind of like mm-hmm. picking up this like adrenaline you know listeners out there if you've heard of the song as the mm-hmm. world caves in by matt maltese it's this this is if that was a tv show that song but also like a bit more intense this is this is what i'm talking about this is the comparison go listen to that track it's amazing but um yeah i don't know like i definitely think yeah in episode one of such a shocking kind of grabbing moment of like everyone convinced it was the end of the world everyone was like going up you know danny obviously went to his like soon to be lover because he would you know obviously i think there were like issues with his husband and stuff mm. oh my gosh also just the the follow up of that with his like the, his husband selling out Victor, who's so basically yeah. the character Danny, one of to, yeah part of this family is one of the four siblings, um, more fa- four main siblings has has a husband, but yeah as this as this bomb has just dropped um, on this island in China, he like basically runs out, drives out to um, his this like uh it's like not a council estate, but it's basically just like an, like a, yeah, it's a temporary, he, temporary emergency housing. Temporary emergency mm. housing for you, these um, Ukrainian refugees where he'd met this man called Victor and they basically sleep with each other as they believe the world is about to end. Mm. But life goes on instead and his husband, you know, <laughs> they divorce. But his, his husband sells out Victor. Like, oh, mm. every, oh my God, just... Mm. Uh, Danny's a completely separate conversation because <laughs> listeners will get that in a bit. But episode four... <laughs> like oh, literally yes. shattered me shattered yeah. me I, I i don't think i'm the same person i was i was literally choking i was like tears are streaming down my face as i was watching this in the kitchen having my breakfast i was like oh my goodness oh but yes, you um, see now we're creating tension everyone's gonna want to yes, know what's gonna no exactly well, actually I think <laughs> it's a nice it's a nice segue Marsha, because this is probably a good moment to talk about um daniel's work and it, we've touched yes. on on edith's work just um just there and the fact mm. that she is the one who is a political protester who's out there sort of shouting broadcasting about the the terrible things that are happening in the world we're told fairly unsuccessfully Mm -hmm. she says you know no i shouted about the north pole and everyone did nothing and it melted you know but there we are that's her that's her role um we have stephen um the eldest of the the brothers and Mm -hmm. he is a, a financial advisor um, yes. Until the uh, financial crash, which is initiated exactly. after Hong Shadow. Oh, uh, and obviously there's the irony of 
of um, <laughs> Stephen losing his one million pounds. The, he's indeed, the man who lost that's million pounds. right. It's, he is. He is indeed. The, yes. Uh, the series. Yes. So you know the the spiraling effect. Tong Sha Dao is a terrible thing in itself, as we said. People get on with their lives, but the consequences start to have you know, sanctions against the US. That causes um, essentially uh, the failure of the financial system impacting particularly the UK because the interrelationship between the USA and the UK. So, you know, sanctioning America basically has a negative impact on the UK. That's the the argument. Um, very strong argument, I think, because of the, the issues over how effective sanctions really are. Uh, and then anyway, so we have Stephen, financial advisor, until he uh, loses his job, sells his house, loses the money from selling his house, million yes. pounds overnight. Million pounds. Hard to be too sympathetic, but nonetheless, oh, you know, yes. that's that's his situation. Um, and he moves back with his wife, Celeste, and his two children, Bethany and Ruby. They move back into his grandmother's house. Mm-hmm. Uh, then yes. we have Daniel, onto whom we will come in a minute, mm-hmm. um, who works in housing for mm-hmm. the council. And finally, we have Rosie, who is a single mom of two uh, with um, a catering business, or she works in catering and later mm-hmm. has her own catering business um so it's like you know a fairly typical family but danny is the one who gives us the sort of more concrete lead into one of the big themes of the show which is um uh an a refugee crisis and a wider later on a wider housing crisis as we get internal uh refugees as well um but it's probably a good time to talk about what leads to this refugee crisis because it's an interesting prediction that's half right and half wrong with regards to Ukraine and Russia. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, the yeah, the 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 refugees, you know, initially, you know, from Ukraine, basically, and it's the the show kind of focuses on the treatment of the character Victor, who becomes, you know, Danny's lover um, and eventually <clears throat> fiance, I believe. <clears throat> Sorry, clearing my throat. Um, but uh, yeah, so this, the, yeah, it, in the show, there are Ukrainian refugees that come to the UK because there is conflict with Russia and Ukraine. Um, I can't remember, again, I because this show goes so quickly, they have these kind of news flash <laughs> segments, right, at the beginning of the episode where they like, I kept just drop it. a bunch of news. <laughs> yeah. I literally, I was like, I don't. I don't know if I need to go back and rewatch this. Sometimes I'd like just like slowly like float off into space as I was watching this show and being like, wait a minute, I need to like rewind a bit because so much has happened. So sometimes I miss these. I missed the bit where the queen died. I didn't even know she died in this show because then then they didn't even mention the royal family ever again. Like there was, just, I was like, yeah, it's it was just quite, it was just one yeah. of those like like flashes well, of news. Yeah, yeah. Just um, drop I it think in. that the um, the sort of the news back sort of story on um, Russia Ukraine and the reason that it is is you know so different in a way from what has happened in Ukraine uh, is the idea that uh, there was. Uh, a military coup in uh, Ukraine and the people vote uh, 97%, I think Daniel says, if you'll believe that, 97% in favour of uh, bringing in um, uh, Soviet troops to to basically uh, bring order back to, to Ukraine, mm. which um, obviously um, it triggers a refugee crisis because you've got 3% of people who didn't vote and probably a, a lot mm. more we're led to believe but it's obviously also very different from the actual situation that's led to ukrainian refugees because 
in the event that uh, Russia wishes to march in and take control of Ukraine. That is not how Ukraine has, in fact, uh, reacted. Um, But we still, either way, have a Ukrainian refugee crisis. Um, And, you know, whereas in fact, and you must talk about this because this has affected you much more than me, you know, in fact, in this country, we've Mm. uh, taken in over 100,000 Ukrainian refugees. The situation, as it's depicted in the show, um, firstly, the numbers are are smaller, but Mm. the reaction is less positive, I think. Less positive, yes. I mean, okay, so uh, two listeners out there, um, my family is Ukraine. I grew up mostly in the UK. Um, I was born in Hungary, whatever. Um, but yeah, so my family's from Ukraine. And um, yeah, so we have like, you know, well, I have family members living with me who are, you know, you could say are refugees, but you know, um, all good things. But basically, yeah, I mean, it's really interesting um, the differences of like how the, how it went down in real life to the show um because obviously i think you know in the show they were like ukrainian refugees are used as just a general kind of depiction of like how generally refugees are treated in the uk but here the reaction was positive i mean you know as it was all going down the news segments that went that's all about real life as this was all going down in real life obviously there were news segments with reporters going god it's so weird to see you know like blonde haired and blue eyed <laughs> people that look just like us having to flee their homes. And it's, yeah. it, it actually really reflects on the, the racism within mm. Britain, like the actual, there's that, I mean, Britain's its own dystopia in mm. many ways, but um, actually it's just, you sit there and think, Jesus Christ, that's, that's mad that there's such a difference in reaction depending on like whether you're from Europe or whether you're mm. I don't know, some Syrian refugee or, you know, the most different countries that um of like that you know have conflicts that people are trying to flee from and get into the uk um but yeah i mean i mean again i think um i'm very grateful my family's very grateful for the sort of opportunities that they've been given to bring you know to bring over our family members over here um but obviously Victor has uh, you know issues. Victor from the mm. show Victor has has issues and gets deported and this is mm. a huge hard hitting moment where he's basically travelling all around Europe trying to like cross borders illegally and get back to the UK to live with Danny, who's his you know, fiance and stuff. And in oh, should we go into the episode four sort of Yeah, let's 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 do that in just a moment. But I just wanted to pick on what you were mm. saying. You know, one of the things that struck me is yes, okay, we can be really positive about the fact that in real life Ukrainian refugees were welcomed. I mean, in the show, we get uh, both flooding and uh, dirty bombs causing radiation that in turn initiate greater internal migration. So homelessness is massively yes, on the rise yes. within the show, which again is something that we will see with climate crisis so, and coastal we, erosion. So the dirty, yeah, sorry, mm. the dirty bombs, so they're a type of what, like radioactive? Yeah, uh, I feel like I this was clarified in the show because... I was like, "What's a dirty bomb? What's a, what, are, what are they talking yeah, about?" Yeah, I mean, but, it basically, yeah. you know, it's 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 forms of chemical warfare, but I think that specifically yes. they refer to radiation, um, radiation. Uh, which of course is also what has happened to Edith because she was at Hongshadao. So, uh, you know, that's a bit of a theme in the in the show as well. But um, specifically, I was just thinking that whereas um, you know many people did offer rooms to refugees. Um, 
when the government uh, set out the scheme for Ukrainian visas. Um, yes. In the show, they have a, a law that says you must take people yeah. in. Um, and of course, that actually spawns a very negative uh, reaction. Um, and I wanted to get, you know, we can be quite pessimistic. I particularly can be quite pessimistic on this show. I think, yeah, this is human nature. They hate mm. everybody. You yes. know, we don't want to let anyone in. That's what Britain's like. But actually, mm. of course, in practice, people, you know, within reason, as you say, it's easier because yes. they recognise Ukrainian refugees as being like them or whatever. Um, yes. Uh, you know, they you know handled that very well. What we're so bad at mm. is overall um, refugee crisis in this country. And this is, of course at the forefront of uh, the um, sort of policy um, agenda in our current Conservative government, you know, stopping small boats crossing the channel is this obsession. Um, Even though, you know, in practice, we're talking about seven out of 10 people who um, Enter the UK are granted asylum more on um, on appeal. Um, people use the uh, dangerous channel crossings because there are no safe routes into the UK, yes. with the exception yes. of things like the Ukrainian visa scheme. Um, and we're mm. talking about you know comparatively small numbers, but we don't have a system that can handle them. So that rung really, really true with the situation in which Victor finds himself. So as you mentioned, Victor takes um, cash in hand work and is reported Mm. by Daniel's ex-husband, Ralph. Yes. Um, And that is indeed the situation for, you know, asylum seekers that they are not allowed to work whilst in this country. Um, And this is used as a reason to deport him, even though he suffered torture at the hands of um, the Russian held Ukraine and was given Mm -hmm. up to the authorities by his own parents because they disapproved of his being gay. So, you know, that's the scenario in which he he finds himself. And as you say, Mm -hmm. we see the situation where he is, uh, you know, he gets um, back to Kiev and he's there uh, staying in a friend's flat, but then it's raided by police. Um, He takes a bus to Odessa. He crosses the border illegally. He goes, uh, you know, stows away in the back of lorries to get all the way down through Poland. France has been taken over by the far right. He has to, he can't go back to the UK. And he ends up in Spain, which is at this point, uh, you know, run by a um, uh, a socialist party that has um, uh, an immigration policy that um, will allow him to stay. Um, until it doesn't. So in this sort of swinging political landscape with extremist parties taking power, there is a revolution in Spain um, and suddenly Danny and Victor are no longer going to be able to stay there either and they make the decision to try to come back to to the UK. And it's true, this is, it's, it's a devastating, I mean, not just the very end of the episode, but really the whole process of the, various plans to try and get yes. across yeah. are really I mean, tough. Indeed. I, I mean, even the bit where he, like, was crossing the border re- mm-hmm. illegally and stuff, you know, um, that was, you know, that, it was also a reality for, like, the Azure Ukrainian, like, um, you know, uh, 
I think a family friend of ours, obviously mm-hmm. when the war kicked off though, you know, all men over a certain age were like um, conscripted and couldn't leave the country. So, you know, a family friend of ours, you know, went through this one time, like sort of like debacle again, sort of like you know, paying off people and trying to cross mm-hmm. the border illegally, you know, and it, it, you know, it's all, it, and it happens and it's intense and obviously, um, you know, there's different contexts to it. Whilst for Victor, he had to leave because of his homosexuality, and um, obviously, you know, his parents handed him over to the police, etc. Um, you know, um, but yeah, it's 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 it was a very kind of just yeah, it was just a, a very intense thing to watch, and um, you know, after seeing basic like Danny's family complain a lot about how. Danny's sending all this money to Victor and, you know, like putting all this time and effort. And there's this thing that Stephen says later in the show where he was like, I was almost bored of hearing about you or something like that. And, oh my God, it's heartbreaking to hear. So shall I I explain the rest of the context Mm, of the episode? um, Eventually, after all these various kind of ways that they try and get Victor across the channel, first in like a tour bus of um, one of Danny's friends, Fran, um and then they tried to get victor a fake passport and they got robbed of almost like six grand i it's think six and, thousand you know, euros yeah six thousand euros and danny loses his passport it all gets very complicated and then finally they find some guy who's like look for for five five thousand five thousand or something six thousand i think it's again six thousand some, some might be another six yeah huge amount of money up front um to basically take them across on a boat they wait around the next day get on this little bus and they get to the boat and it's this tiny dinghy it's you know mm-hmm. the, the sort of classic you know stop the boat stop you know and it, and, and it, it was i mean it's this sort of shocking thing for them but also you're watching it seeing all of these other refugees and people who are also trying to get across climb onto this boat with their life vests. like you know people are flinging their belongings off the boat to make more space more space and then it's packed and another truck of people comes along mm-hmm. and they start finding out and so it's and it's shocking and it i think the way that they did it kind of like in terms of the, the cinematography yes. you know the boat sets off across the channel or whatever i think 20 miles um and it's kind of these like flashes of you kind of see like you know the orange of a life vest and a bit of mm-hmm. water and people screaming as these splash splashes um of like kind of shots of you know this this going on these people crossing the channel these refugees and then it go, goes black and it kind of goes again and again and again and um i think for me the comparison there was was when stephen was explaining how um it, well how people drown and how it happens in the sea is like at first you know you've got a life jacket on and you get thrown into the water and um you know, uh, a tiny bit of, you swallow a tiny bit of seawater sea and it gets into your lungs and then you swallow a tiny bit more and then a wave comes crashing over and it's kind of, you know, you're bobbing your head in and out and it, that's, you know, how it's kind of, you know, the, the shot comes in and then it goes black and then, you know, you see a bit more and then it goes black. You know, I think it was, it was almost reflecting that yeah. experience of, you know, of, so at the end of the episode, Danny drowns and he, he, the, it's this very slow pan of like these bodies with strips strewn across this, like beach as, you know, as they mm-hmm. come through a storm to try and get to the UK and it and pans over Dan- Danny's face and he's obviously dead and I, I, I'm i sat there frantically being like where's Victor, where's Victor and then it pans across again and he's stood there in a in one of those um, you know, aluminium kind of foil mm-hmm. blankets or whatever. 
and it's actually the most heartbreaking thing I sobbed I sobbed so yeah. hard it was oh my god so it, hard hitting but it really please, was um, wasn't it and you know I've I've watched it twice and it I knew what was coming oh, and it still you oh know, broke my heart and it the scene is has that sort of you know clinical forensic element to it because the authorities are there there um it's just you know Danny's body with this little number next to him one of 17 um and it's obviously fictionalized in this way but we know that this is happening we know uh, that more and more um well i think it's declined slightly but essentially more and more boats are um are still uh, crossing the channel um yeah. and just last month there were um six deaths in the in the channel from a small boat crossing um there have yeah. been far bigger catastrophes like the one that's depicted in the show but you know we know this we see the news we you know, in 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 my case, it's something that you know I'm I have followed quite closely and um, uh, you know, donated to charities and things like that. Uh, feel yes. quite strongly about. Um, especially, I used to to live in Kent, so when I was involved with politics there, it was one of our, our issues because mm. Kent is one of the places that um, particularly um, has a focus of of um, immigration. But yes. to see it in that way with a character who, you know, we've we've got to know Victor, but Danny even more. We've seen him right from sort of, you know, the mm. uh, the beginning of episode one. And he's so, I guess he's so like us. You know, yes. Victor is yeah. like us more so, you know, than... Um, I suppose many of the people who are on the um, the boat are black, particularly Somalis, mm -hmm. and I think mm -hmm. that for um, you know for white British people, they may find it easier to alienate themselves from yeah. um, people who uh, yeah, look different from so, them. Yeah. But yeah. Danny is just an ordinary white bloke who has a British mm -hmm. passport, but it's been stolen, yes. but doesn't want to put his partner in any more danger by going to the authorities to report his stolen passport and therefore takes mm. this terrible risk and maybe he is really you know foolish or whatever but victor you know gives him the opportunity i don't there's any sort of forcing there and the whole thing is terrifying and in the end it's ultimately tragic um yes. and it's awful yes. that we feel more of it because yeah. it's somebody like us but for some reason it's yeah, important exactly. that we do no remember that you know it, it just, could be yeah. anyone exactly exactly uh, well i think it, the kind of most disappointing part of it was that like you have to have you know you have to kind of they had to depict this you saw tragedy through the the perspective of yeah this like white bloke you know danny hmm. this, this british man like the fact that you know, I'm sure people can, but like, it, it, you know, people, you know, would say it's almost more hard hitting because they can, you know, they relate, they see themselves in Danny or their like British experience mm. in Danny. And it's like, you can't empathize or sympathize with these refugees yeah. otherwise. It's, yeah. I don't know, it, it's mad, but I, I, again, it, we've followed, you know, been four episodes with these characters, obviously you know, when you have a personal tie or a personal sort mm. of thing, like, you know, any TV show you're watching where there's some sort of tragedy, of course, it's going to be hard hitting. But for me, the like worst, I think the bit that I probably started crying at was when um, Victor 
comes home and calls calls up the rest of the family and yeah. just they're all like there there's just this huge scandal that's just happened to them where they found out Stephen was cheating on his wife Celeste you know huge and they're all trying to be like Danny Danny you know you can't believe you haven't heard about this like utter scandal and Victor's on the other side of the line saying he's dead and Victor's made it home but Danny's mm-hmm. dead and and oh my gosh just the fall that I was yeah god damn yeah i mean the the episode ending with just you know victor on his own and them all hammering on the door just as frightening as like the police or whatever and then later when they show the flashbacks to that um day and we don't hear what's said we just see the silent sort of um animosity and the blame um and we do learn eventually that um, both uh, Edith and Rosie, the two sisters, yeah. um, are uh, campaigning still for um, yes. uh, for Victor's freedom. He is uh, in another detention centre, um, but yes. can't be repatriated because of the uh, chaos and lack of communication that's now going on with Ukraine. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. So he's sort of been bought some time by that. Um, but, but, yeah, Stephen blames him and in fact we know that it's a kind of in all the things that have gone wrong for Stephen's life loss of his job his home his money uh the loss of his wife the anger of his children um and the fact that he's been reduced to um being a a cycle courier and uh doing lab testing on his own body and things like that to you know the gig economy at the very lowest level with no security or protection um but he you know the thing that that you know wrecks him completely is his his brother's death and the blame that he therefore puts on on victor um yeah i mean hugely unfair and obviously this god it's just almost you know there's a bit where stephen comes into this detention center that um uh yeah. victor's been kept at and he goes you know it's your fault mm. you awful man mm. and it, like victor's just lost his fiance yeah. like the poor man's been through it and i can mm. totally see just like stephen's trying to deflect but it's just this like this moment i think it's still this turning point where stephen kind of becomes this almost i still sympathize with him but he becomes almost unlikable to me at yes. that situation like he just it's such a and I, I think he goes on about um, opening the fridge mm. in Danny's apartment and seeing, you know, some onions or some some, yeah. some milk, whatever that mm. he imagines his brother having gone and picked, like picked through in a supermarket or whatever. Um, and it is kind of hard hitting, and but you know he kind of keeps having this, these flashbacks of like looking in this fridge and breaking down, and it's it's intense, but. It, it I think it's this his drive for this revenge just mm. takes over like he basically ends up um being involved in these um government detention camp like you know concentration camps yeah. basically Concent- yeah. then this is the thing um I had a like a one of the quote well no I'm not gonna quote it directly I don't remember it quite but it's mm. um basically Stephen goes to this um gets a new job involved with these like concentration camps where he goes to this sort of like government meeting where um Vivruk shows up and you know they talk about these detention camps and sort of dealing with these like refugee crises like both internally and externally um and she talks about how um they're basically just going to send these people to these detention camps and let nature run its course like mm-hmm. natural selection or whatever she called it um 
and it was i think she, what hit was when she she made the stroke of british people uh won't protest until you change the laws about caravanning or something yeah. like that and i was like and and this also kind of links to um i think uh, a speech that you found really interesting was mm. from um uh the grandmother mm, muriel yeah was. muriel yes um very beautiful name i've never heard that it's like <laughs> the classic british yeah anyways muriel very nice um yeah the muriel goes on about saying how it's our fault it's your fault that this that you know all the past Mm -hmm. like troubles that they've had in the last couple years everything that's gone on is is you know she just says it to her family it's our fault it's your fault Mm -hmm. um and i don't know what do you think of that so i I think we've kind of segued (laughs) a little bit from what we were talking about before that's all right no i mean Um, i think that this is this is the thing that um that starts to become so important in in yes uh the uh, the latter part of it whereas we see this uh, you know the way in which people interact politically um, and this mm. leads us on nicely really to the sort of more side of the family that we we want to to go on to and we've started to discuss these characters which is helpful mm. but we obviously see the way in which they respectively interact politically we mentioned Edith's yes. protester becomes um somebody who uh, assists um, with the the direct targeting of, of um, uh, corporations and so on. So she's, she's doing all of this underhand uh, illegal work uh, that goes on once she's back in, in the UK. Um, we've got um, her take on Vivian Rook, which is that, first of all, she thinks she's a monster, and then she thinks that she's basically going to take down the system um you know destroy the world she says uh you know that this is a good thing that basically there's nothing to be done her campaigns have all failed we've just got to, yes. to destroy everything and she thinks that vivian rook's going to do that and then of course has to acknowledge the mistake she makes she doesn't vote for vivian rook interestingly she spoils her ballot no. but rosie that's does that's so her character and yes. that is her rosie does I was, I was like this yeah. so i was like of course she spoiled her ballot but anyways mm-hmm. love edith what an icon yeah. but um no the one that shocked me was when danny votes conservative i thought that was quite weird as well yeah i think that yeah voting i think that what we were led to to be thinking about there was the fact that um there was this question over these the split of the vote so um the uh you know arguments so in in that area we were looking at the idea that it was you know um um labor versus four star essentially this is sort of you know long held old mm. labor and so we're sort of seeing that thing between people sort of saying um you know what do we need to do to, to change things um but yes you know we saw that across the family we basically ended up with a split vote which sort of allows this popular you know nobody thinks that any party is doing any good um and we therefore mm. get the hung parliament you know yes and that sort of thing but but you know they vote but they don't really necessarily believe in it and then later on they say you know they voted wrongly you know people who voted for her we learn later on but again that political responsibility you're right i don't think it starts to really come together until the till the end and the way they respectively handle it i think is really interesting so it it's a good thing i think to talk about um the, the role that Stephen then gets, because in the interest, I suppose, of um, 
his uh, economic situation, the fact that he is now mm-hmm. uh, supporting his his children, not living with them, living with Elaine, the woman he doesn't even like, who he had the affair with, and therefore has mm. to live in her studio flat. Yes. He takes this this job with Woody, his uh, yes. childhood uh, uh, friend, who is clearly a dreadful uh, character mm. from the moment we meet him. Awful. And he basically tells mm-hmm. Stephen that what he's looking at is uh, looking for is monkeys. He's looking for yes men. And uh, because the mm. government is in chaos, companies like his who manage property um, uh, are charging a fortune to do the government's work for them. So privatisation is sort of the only way that um, the government is able to get anything done. So Stephen becomes a collaborator in what turns out to be a concentration camp system without really knowing what he's letting himself fully in for. But we get a good idea that he knows that this is going to be pretty dodgy because from the very beginning, his test to get the job is that he has to agree with Woody that Hong Sha Dao was a hoax, Um, Mm. that it never, you know, it never really happened, even though he saw it edith was watching it edith got radiation poisoning from it and he mm-hmm. still has to say yes, uh, yes. i agree it's fake um so we mm-hmm. know from that that you know there are all sorts of reasons that lead him to, to take that job but he persists with it even after the fact that he's been at this um essentially um auction for getting control of these these sites Mm-hmm. These sites which are known as erstwhile sites. And to go yes. back to what you were saying about Viv Rook, it's one of those um, scenes that, again, feels terribly shocking, but also it's behind closed door, unminuted, mm-hmm. unrecorded um, meeting in which she openly says, you know, let's use some of the relevant language here. Um, let's look mm-hmm. at concentration. Well, that just means you've got a lot of things in one place and a camp, yes. you know, she's, she's mm-hmm. saying. And then, of That's, course, she yeah. talks about the Burr War. And I have to say, I was completely... I was unsurprised, but I was ignorant on the details of how in the Second Mm -hmm. Boer War, the British um, created sort of statewide concentration camps. um, Really? Yes. So this is is the first instance. There have been um, prison camps prior to that, but this is the first time that what we now think of as concentration camps are introduced. It was under uh, Lord Kitchener and it was part of a programme basically to get um, the the enemies in the Boer Wars, the Boers and also um, the black African population as well um, into uh, camps, particularly we're talking about wow. wives and children um, mm-hmm. and to uh, essentially undermine the... Um, the soldiers by destroying their um, their families, and these places were supposed to be habitable, but of course, infection ran rife, um, and the consequences of that were absolutely catastrophic. Um, mm-hmm. And as you know, Vivian Rook says, uh, so I took down the statistic: eight between eighteen and twenty six thousand deaths occurred in those camps. So 
although we associate concentration camps obviously with the atrocities of the Holocaust, we can link mm-hmm. the idea back to something the British had already done. And that's what Vivian Rook is yes. basically saying. Yeah. People don't talk about this because we won the war and therefore it worked. So everybody's forgotten about how terrible it was, even though yeah. there was um, you know, opposition to it at the time and subsequently. Um, I was reading up a little bit on it, but I certainly don't know very much. We've got this sort of idea that you know as long as it works yes and we'll keep it under wraps and we won't use the word camps just in case um uh erstwhile centers uh which is obviously a completely meaningless phrase in the context mm-hmm. is what they use instead but stephen goes beyond simply remaining in this job that where mm-hmm. he he is um yes. in charge of two erstwhile centers he also manually drops Mm -hmm. Victor, his little ID from Mm -hmm. his detention centre on screen into erstwhile four. Which Um, is mad. Mad. Yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, sorry. Um, I was just going to say, you know, the way that they depict this moment happening is, you know, Stephen's shown to have this sort of like tortured, you know, mentality. So he's like, I don't know if I should do that, you know, very kind of like conflicted. But then, so... Again, we must have a talk about the technology in this show. Yeah. Um, Beth, uh, who is um, Stephen's daughter, um, is uh, basically, which is, first of all, very interesting to talk about it in a second, but um, basically, um, you know, sort, sort of can see his online activity and can watch what he does. So he, she basically discovers that he personally put Victor into these into this concentration camp, basically, um, and she can watch through, I don't know, I guess the camera and his mm. computer, his facial expression. And it's after he does it, it's a smile yeah. rather than any sort of, like, he almost seems proud of himself that he's, 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 you know, kind of committed this like revenge against, you know, his, his brother's, you know, ex-fiance, you know, well, since Danny's dead now. And, and it's, it's actually terrifying. And he's sat there, like, oh my God. And, and bless Beth. Now she's like wrestling with this like information that her father's basically sent, uh, like one basic one of her sort of family members off mm-hmm. to a concentration camp. It's, and it's mad. It's mad. But also talking of the the Beth's ability to basically watch her family members and their activity <laughs> online is you know once she's connected to this sort of interface and she gets these yeah. install like you know um, basically digital installments in her own flesh and blood. She goes. Um, uh, I have your contact, which according to law is like yeah. permission, is permission or like consent in order for me to be able to watch you do all these things, which is, is so interesting. I mean, to be honest, it's not really too different. Not, I mean, it is different, but you know, with the, how like, you know, cookies work and mm-hmm. the kind of like surveillance and, you know, data being sold to like third party kind of like companies and stuff. I mean, it's really kind of very, oh, it's all big brother-esque, but it Very is, but I think it's something that we're going to come back to in later episodes because it's been yes. a popular theme for um, uh, for dystopia, following on from uh, uh, from nineteen eighty four mm-hmm. um, and Big Brother, but also one that is increasingly you know pertinent mm-hmm. because of the, the yeah. increase in um, ways of accessing data and surveillance. Um, but yeah, I mean Bethany is a is a really interesting character because she is the one who again has to make a huge choice at the end. So we say Stephen's made a kind of choice to collaborate. He has not stood up against what he knows is going on. Um, But Bethany's also in a tricky position because her job is in a government department and her 
uh, implanted technology is owned by the government. So she is essentially yes. indentured to the state. If she yes. uh, breaks the law, she will have it um, literally stripped out of her body. Okay. And we've got to know that she has, uh, you know, this is this is something that she feels is very much part of her identity. She has wanted to become transhuman yes, uh, from childhood. Okay, um, do you want to explain what transhuman means to the listeners? <laughs> Okay, so um, it's, I mean, in some ways, it's a sort of funny, moving and weird scene <laughs> yeah. uh, yes. from early on in the show where um, uh, Bethany comes out as trans to her uh, mm. parents who have already checked her browsing history and therefore have predicted this is what she's going to do. They're very open and supportive and they say, you know, that they'd be very welcome to having a son and she reveals that, no, she didn't mm. mean trans in the sense of her gender she meant trans yes. in the sense of her bodily <laughs> nature she wishes to be downloaded yes. into the cloud and for her body to be yes. recycled um, yes. and although yeah. in a way she grows out of this to some extent she still takes it to the sort of limit of of what the available technology is yeah. um but eventually she uses it you know she she and a number of friends are part of the overthrow that occurs in episode six. So eventually they do yes. take that risk of, of uh, she says, declaring yeah. independence from the government. Um, yes, indeed. I mean, it, it seems like a very powerful piece of technology that mm. she owns anyway. I mean, ultimately, uh, yeah. So I, I wonder, so I'm assuming, you know, with this entire technology that she's got implanted, she's also being, sub, sub, you know, that she's under surveillance by the government. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's really... I don't know, such an interesting, cool piece of kind of technology and like, oh, vision for what you know humans could become yeah. in the future. Yeah. And again, um, you know, I know that, you know, biohacking, things like that, this is something that is becoming more popular. When this show was being made, wearables were really considered to be the next thing. I'm not yeah. sure, you know, we know that sort of this Google, Google Glasses Glass stuff. Era. Yeah, 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 those kinds go. of things, yeah. you know, that was very much sort of, where we thought things were going um and you know there have been other interesting sort of science fiction things that have taken kind of uh, this in different directions but yeah i mean i think that we i can see how they sort of they use the sort of increase in digital entertainment social media the way that the kids interact using uh vr headsets and um yes. facial filters and things like that you know we see them sort of logically taking forward kind of uh standard bits of technology there are other types of technology they that um i think again raise some of the you know the critical questions that perhaps we're asking now so one of the things that comes up is um uh, stem cell um, uh, yes. technology and and surgery. Yes. Um, I mean, so yeah. the two instances of this that I can think of are um, that Muriel has a mm -hmm. severe macular degeneration, but this is now a thing of mm -hmm. the past because stem cell implants can uh, completely reverse it. Yes. We do learn there is an NHS waiting list of three years. This sounds very three pertinent. Years. But Indeed. that you can buy your way past it for a mere oh, £10,000. Oh so, is this still done by the NHS? And most of my question is, that, are you just going privately? Because I feel like if you were private and paid for each way, like, you know, mm, two, three grand, I, would that not be cheaper than the 10 grand to be That's a very interesting question. I suppose oh, what man. they're alluding to is the vision of yeah. privatising more of the NHS. Yes. Um, but the one that's perhaps more controversial is um, Rosie, because... 
Rosie is a, a, a really great representation in my mind of mm. a wheelchair user. Um, yes. And uh, she has spider bifida. What we learn is that a baby, her friend's baby Poppy, um, has been on a, a program um, where they're undertaking surgery within the womb to correct spider bifida, not only to... Um, uh, fix the problems with the spine but also mm. to repair the nerve damage so essentially yes. the idea being that your uh, body is like that of an average person whereas Rosie is a really positive um, sort of advocate of her own brilliance mm. um, and the fact that she wouldn't want to be changed but she raises the the issue and she and Edith have this really interesting conversation about whether she thinks she'd want to be fixed and whether she thinks it's a good thing what are the limits yes. oh gosh well this is this is it i mean there's a lot of question within like genetic engineering is like mm. they eventually will be this possibility of you know even with like cloning and kind of like gene editing like you will eventually be able to a eradicate all sorts of things you know down syndrome could be a thing mm. of the past um you know you can decide what color hair what color eyes your child yeah. will be you know you you know being too short or too tall will also be a thing of the past and yeah this is it's it, it's inc it's incredibly interesting where this sort of technology could go and the ethics of that yes. because you know if if these you know again as well coming back to um muriel's um eyesight and stem cell surgery you know you pay 10 grand for it to get done but you know the people who have infinitely amount of you know infinite amount of money mm -hmm. you know uh, the rich could literally create designer babies yes. this sort of thing but also what is the implication of that for general human evolution is you know mm. these sort of features we have a spectrum of features for a reason um you know for evolution and when we have changes of environment you know there's a whole entire species won't be wiped out because there are genetic differences but if everyone's got the same features and same you know uh, genotype which you know procures the same phenotype of again this biology mm. in here um then also, yeah what sort of position does that put humanity as a race like we are we driving ourselves toward towards ex extinction you know yeah. um yeah a, a huge number of implications but you know and so rosie says i, I think i'm great so i don't think i would mm. need and I, she's such a great character in terms of the fact that like I don't know I just I, she's just so confident and the fact that she's in a wheelchair doesn't even really like obviously it comes up but it mm -hmm. doesn't hold her back whatsoever she's no. probably one of the most bubbly and like kind of exciting characters in the show and who is just hilarious to watch she's just so funny and so like cool and yeah stuff. absolutely and um as you know so I'm somebody who uses a wheelchair sometimes um mm -hmm. and it I'm very aware of the fact that it makes people act differently around you and the sort of representation that actually uh, a character like Rosie's gives I think is yes. really really important um, mm -hmm. so yeah I loved her but again it reminds me of the fact that this show takes all these serious things but it manages to keep them 
uh, lighthearted in places, <laughs> touching yes. in places. Because yes. uh, I think she, uh, Rosie says to, to Edith that, you know, although Poppy has been on a trial programme, so she had it for free, the NHS won't be able to afford this surgery, so only billionaires will be able to get it. Oh. Raising your point yes. about, you know, buying um, designer babies. Uh, but Edith yeah. says, so you're complaining about people you don't like being able to mm. buy something that you don't want. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, but it's, I think this kind of question where it sort of goes into sort of the field of eugenics, you know, and, and whether yeah. we should kill out certain things, then takes us quite nicely to this issue with the camps, which is essentially the deliberate introduction of uh, disease, and specifically the outbreak mm. of um, what they call monkey fever uh, into... Um, uh, the general population and then sending the infected people um like you might with a uh, you know a leper colony um in yes. the days where that was felt to be necessary yeah sending sending people into these camps but where there are healthy people healthy refugees with the idea that they'll spread the disease through the camp um, and thus eradicate the problem because as Vivian Rook tells us um, it's never going to go away there are going to just be more and more every year we're losing housing to climate crisis we're getting more refugees so we need to have a way of getting rid of the excess um, yes. which so you know it's a different Mad. way of looking at yeah. this this idea about kind mm. of you know um who should live who should die what should they look like um yeah, and it crosses yeah. over with this idea of kind of that you know different people uh have different um kind of uh living communities put in place so we're told early on that only you have to be means tested to go into kensington in london now but then we're mm. also later on the housing estate where rosie lives is yes. designated a red zone and a red has zone. um has a fence put up about around it um yeah, yeah. To, I mean, because... even, yeah. sorry even right at the beginning vivian you know that kind of again causes sort of further like scrimmage segregation by being like oh you should take an iq test mm -hmm. to vote, which i don't think she later when she becomes prime minister i don't know if that oh and then oh and, and it's very interesting development that um is it during the general election that vivian gets voted in where everyone has to go and take their vote yeah is that one i think it's yeah it's after it's after the uh failure of the parliament of water which is the hung parliament where um uh labor and conservatives have got almost the same um number of seats so that's when that one is dissolved at the next one there is um um compulsory voting which of course happens in you know in other countries really quite similar to the uk but are somehow sat at odds i think with our ideas about civil liberties that you know you should be able to exert your right not to vote if you wish as well um but uh but yeah i think that's a, that's a very interesting thing but again you know going back to what we said right at the beginning that idea of you know um uh, stupid people shouldn't be allowed to vote like something that loads of people say but actually, of course, when Vivian Rook says it, she's saying seriously, you know, people with an IQ less than 70, which, you know, is is, is that, yeah, relatively is low. 100, 100, 100 is average. So, okay. um, uh, but of course, you know, it, it does remove um, a part of the population and basically say, you know, you can't vote for what happens to you. And therefore, you know, it's, it's really fundamentally problematic. But 
you know, again, it's one of those statements, isn't it, that gets people going, oh, that's what you always say, you know, we should mm. vote first, she's a normal person. Mm-hmm. So we've taken kind of a roundabout way of looking at some of these themes and we've also talked about um, members of the family. But we also said that one of the, the things that really draws this all together is the fact of responsibility, corporate responsibility, the idea that if you are a citizen within a society, you are responsible for the things that that society does yes. and becomes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in the final episode, we see this all drawn together in the Indeed. attempt to uh, rescue Victor. Mm-hmm. Um, Celeste, who, in spite of the fact that uh, she's had to deal with all that Stephen has done, wants to mm-hmm. try and clear his name. So she tries yes. to, to get into the company and clear his yeah. records. Edith and Fran make a plan for getting into the camp. Yes. Um, and uh, Rosie takes on the uh, local police uh, around uh the fencing of her her estate so all of these come together um at the end and we see i suppose the way in which these different characters and the characters that we've learned to to love and sometimes to kind of dislike and and grimace at um all play their part um including as we mentioned bethany with her technology so what really worked for you in that that final episode because i think they do it really well oh, um, really powerful so powerful i i mean I, I definitely thought the especially the with fran and edith going to rescue victor from these concentration camps brands just amazing like i i perfectly pulled off you know when they kind of go after the I guess the huge version of the blinkers that we were talking mm. about before, right? Um, which basically, the two mile radius around these camps, you know, stops any signal getting through. So no one in these camps can contact anyone, um, whether you have a phone or not. Uh, yeah, these these basically two towers get like shot down, destroyed, and it's and it's actually uh, it's so powerful. And you know, suddenly initially edith and fran were in this position of you know that they're having these guns pointed at them and Vic's begging them to surrender saying that there was a story there was news of another a different camp where the people that tried to escape got shot and he's like please let's just surrender and suddenly you know the signal comes on these towers have exploded and either edith's taking these videos and recording everything and like you know it's it's, it's fire it's a revolution and obviously whilst in in parallel um rosie also you know takes on the local police who have basically like caged her sons out of you know their Mm -hmm. home because of you know some sort of curfew which is just mad that they've framed these people as criminals but anyways um you know and and you can see her scrolling whilst she's sort of panicking about it rosie she's you know her mother like you know she's a mother of two children and she like goes through her contacts and she looks at Edith's contacts and you know calls mm. calls her gran up and says that I'm basically going to become a revolutionary. You what her gran was saying about it being you know their fault mm. that you know the the way that the world has turned out is it's the way that it turned out. Um, she said yes, this this is going to be my fault and this is going to be your main. You know she gets in her truck and she knocks down this gate and you know people are cheering there with her and this is all being shared across again. This is and going back to the technology thing is like. Beth and you know all her, all her sort of same sort of transhuman friends who've got these like implants mm. done by the government declared their independence are broadcasting these videos yeah. across all of the UK. It's just mad, mad power. 
And what we really see there, I think, is the multiple levels of uh, ways that people can make a difference. So Rosie's there with her um, sandwich van and uh, she because of her spider bifida can't actually drive uh, this herself usually her partner uh drives it but she's using her child lincoln um to to be the legs so she's she's been innovative she's been creative she's used what she can and um she's uh, making this small but surprising attack on um the uh on the fence taking some action um, and again, being filmed while doing it, uh, therefore making a public statement. So from Rosie, who's kind of this local, doing this local thing for her children, uh, it's happening in parallel um, and cutting between Edith doing this thing on a grand scale, but both of them in a way are are taking on the things that, um, that matter to them. And as Edith says, you know, much as I, I love you, Victor, you're not that important. Uh, we came here to start a war. And at the same time, as you mentioned, Bethany is using her skills to transmit this. And of course, it's apart from shooting down the blink, it's basically um, a battle that is won by telling the truth and broadcasting that truth. So it comes back to that theme of media. But yes. at the very end of the show, it goes into this really weird bit where we discover that yes. what we've actually been doing has been going through all of Edith's memories because yes. she is dying of radiation poisoning as we knew she was going to. Mm. And they are experimenting with exactly what Bethany wanted as a child, yes. preserving her as data transferred onto molecules of water. Um, and that's yes. when we get um, Edith basically saying, you know, that that we didn't do anything. We just lived through it. So yeah, any thoughts indeed. about that? Well, I don't know, Rich, you know, she's a, a revolutionary in her own sense, you know, this activist. And she, re she really did go out and do that. You know, she's you know, semi-infamous, you know, mm. in between, you know, sort of the type of people who look like they read The Guardian and you know, <laughs> on a it's like you know she's she's done her thing, but she but she's kind of still displaces it as like oh, we, we barely started a revolution. We just gave it a push. Like everything mm. was already crumbling down, and um, yeah, I mean it's this it's this superb sort of melancholy moment as she's kind of going through her memories and yeah. these people who are like basically writing down all her memories and consciousness as data onto these water molecules. Very interesting technology of the mm. you know how they came up with that in this TV like TV show, but. Um, uh yeah they say wow it's been an honor Edith. yeah she, she does i don't know it, she seems she i mean she is this kind of like wise figure among I don't she know, is absolutely favorite, favorite um yeah. yeah and i guess you know she's shown one form of protest she's also kind of criticized her own sort of lack of effectiveness within that um she's called for the destruction of the system uh but then discovered that that failed when it meant voting for Fiverr. So all of these commentaries. But I think it is quite important that we get, however much we're left with this sort of slightly odd ending where we don't really know whether this technology works, I don't think. But, you know, it's about the love between the family, ultimately. And I guess that's what we're, yes. we're left with. But it is this idea that everybody 
can make a difference. And yeah, okay, Edith's doing all of this really big stuff and even up to the end. But the people who are filming it on their phones, you know, Fran and Victor and the other refugees, um, they are the ones who are, are contributing to this. And, uh, you know, Rosie bashing down the fence outside her, her house. And even Stephen, who... Yes in spite of everything, it sends the report to the police that he had been uh, too afraid to send every day uh, as he had supposedly planned to. Um, so, you know, everyone in their way does this bit, which is part of this wider picture that Edith describes, means that we do get change and we do see that Vivian Rook is arrested, although we're left with this promise that, uh, uh, you know, has she really gone away we've been led to believe all along that she's just a puppet she even tells Stephen that yeah. she'd like to sail away in a boat but they'd have her killed um is she really the person in prison is it somebody impersonating her and we're also yes. given the terrible premonition of a possible next candidate with a spinning bow tie on the telly which is just awful oh my gosh awful um, yes indeed um Ugh. but uh but yeah so I mean, yeah. do you agree that that's sort of, you know, apart from the fact that it's it's entertaining, I think there is a message to take away from this show, don't you think? No, hugely. I mean, I think is that, yeah, in the, in the last episode, it is, I think, you know, it's a very kind of British way of of sort of dealing with this, these sort of political things of like just let sit back and let it happen to you. Mm -hmm. Mostly just like this blind acceptance and kind of like just happiness to take on the reality of the situation or whatever but then like at, at the end you know even people like Rosie who didn't really see herself as a revolutionary or mm -hmm. Stephen who thought he didn't have the strength to do the things that he needed to do or even you know he, he planned to kill himself after sending mm -hmm. off you know evidence to the police about these um concentration camps um and you know they all say no this is this is enough this is the like breaking point we're actually going to do something about it and i think yeah i think my my takeaway is like you know small acts you know maybe even small acts of rebellion or trying to at least notice these things that mm. are taking place like in the world within you know both the uk and outside and having compassion for like yeah. even if some a situation doesn't direct you effectively but uh, directly affect you directly <laughs> that little bit there we go there we go um <laughs> then you know you still can sit there and have compassion for people that do suffer in these situations and mm. you know do your bit for where you can also sticking up for your family members and being there yeah, yeah. for your family it's i guess a huge theme throughout anyway you know obviously with celeste even though um stephen treated her badly and cheated on her etc etc and they you know, went through a lot together. She still cared about him and she still wanted to clear his name on his behalf, um, mm. which I think is really beautiful. Yeah, I guess that's my yeah. takeaway at the very least. Yeah. I think that we should finish with Muriel's speech from episode five. But it's all your fault. What is? Everything. Oh. All of you. What do you mean? The banks, the government, the recession, America, Mrs. Rock, every single thing that's gone wrong, it's your fault. 
What did I do? Where's this come from? As long as I get blamed for an awful lot, but how am I responsible for the entire world? Because we are, every single one of us. We can sit here all day blaming other people. We blame the economy, we blame Europe, the opposition, the weather. And then we blame these vast sweeping tides of history, you know, like they're out of our control, like we're so helpless and little and small. But it's still our fault. You know why? It's that one pound T-shirt. A T-shirt that costs one pound. We can't resist it. Every single one of us. We see a T-shirt that costs one pound and we think, oh, that's a bargain, I love that. And we buy it. And the shopkeeper gets five miserable pence for that T-shirt. And some little peasant in a field gets paid pence. And we think that's fine. All of us. And we hand over our quid and we buy into that system for life. I saw it all going wrong when it began in the supermarkets, when they replaced all the women on the till with those automated checkouts. No, that's not our fault. I hate those things. I always have. Oh, stand They drive me mad. Yes, but you didn't do anything, did you? 20 years ago, when they first popped up, did you walk out? Did you write letters of complaint? Did you shop elsewhere? No. You huffed and you puffed and you put up with it. And now all those women are gone. And we let it happen. No, but we're still... And I think we do like them, those checkouts. We want them. Because it means we can stroll through, pick up our shopping, and we don't have to look that woman in the eye. The woman who's paid less than us. She's gone. Got rid of her. Sacked. Well done. So yes, it's our fault. This is the world we built. Congratulations. Cheers, all. You've been listening to Dystopian Fiction Has Been Moved to Current Affairs. This podcast is produced in association with Being Society, a project that endeavours to bring ideas about society, political philosophy and responsibility to students in secondary schools and beyond. If you'd like to find out more about our work, please visit beingsociety.com, where you will also find earlier editions of the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to us, please do rate and review on your preferred podcasting site. We'll be back in two weeks' time, where we'll be talking about the Barbie movie. Until then, thank you for listening and see you soon.